This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Diaz and Masvidal is off and then back on. Maya tapped Askren in Singapore. Douglas Lima is once again the Bellator welterweight champion and a million dollars richer. And John Jones wonders what's next for him. And of course, so do we. This is the TSN MMA Show. Thanks to those listening to the podcast or on TSN Radio in Toronto or Ottawa. We appreciate your patronage without a patron account. Patreon account, rather. We don't have one of those. We don't need your money. We just want your listenership and your reviews. Go to iTunes. Please review the show. And uh, make sure you share this podcast with others. Tell them to give it a listen if you enjoy it yourself. What a roller coaster the last week has been in the uh, world of mixed martial arts. Conor McGregor announced that uh, he is coming back on January the 18th. And uh, since then, we've heard about a, another fight that's probably going to take place on that card. So that card it looks like it's going to happen in Las Vegas, January the 18th. UFC 246. Now, whether McGregor's on it or not, nothing's been announced. But it does look like that would be the intent based on what we know. And if that is the case, I'm thinking that the opponent's going to be Cowboy Cerrone, but we don't know that yet. It's kind of weird. Like, everybody thought that Cerrone was, you know, it was a big risk to, to face Justin Gaethje, and, you know, it was a risk to face Tony Ferguson. He's supposed to be fighting Connor next. He fights both those guys, and it doesn't matter. He's still probably going to be the next person to fight Connor. He's still ranked fifth in the division despite back-to-back losses. He gets the money fight. And it makes sense from a UFC standpoint. I mean, this is a guy that you should reward. He's been he he's been answering the call whenever you whenever you need him for years and years and years. Racked up reward uh, bo- uh, bonuses. Is never afraid to fight anybody. If you're going to reward somebody with an, a big money fight, Cowboy makes a lot of sense. Wouldn't it be something though if two out of three pay per views have non title fights as the headliners? That would be a, that would be a little bit interesting to see. Not a, not something that happens very often. But uh, with Conor McGregor, I think you have to headline with him, don't you? Uh, I mean, what title fight are you going to put that's bigger than a McGregor fight? There just isn't one. Period. Now, I do think that it would be a better, more fun fight to see him versus Justin Gaethje, a fight that would mean more to the division. But if you are trying to put Conor back on the winning track, it would make sense to give him Cowboy rather than Gaethje. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to beat Cowboy, but we will see. And... uh that was part one of the roller coaster of last week, but the uh, that you know that was kind of when you're on the roller coaster and it's going up to the top of the hill and then you're kind of looking down. We went down the hill when we saw a social media posting from none other than Nate Diaz saying that he will not be participating in UFC 244 due to an adverse finding with one of his drug tests, and until he is completely cleared and exonerated, that he will not be partaking in uh, the main event, in the BMF title fight. That led people to speculate that, uh, you know, people including myself, that maybe McGregor would join in. Maybe it would be Masvidal versus Leon Edwards for the BMF title. And then people are like, well, this BMF title was something that was specifically catered to, uh, again, a kind of a lightning in a bottle matchup, as I've called it, between Diaz and Masvidal. Both those guys just hitting superstardom at the exact same time. I mean, you could argue Diaz had it before, but he he'd stepped away from the sport for some time, and it was hard to know whether or not he was going to be able to carry a, a pay-per-view on his back, but judging by the amount of people that watched the Embedded series when he was fighting that week, same week as Cormier versus Stipe, like, he was the story. We're talking about like a heavyweight rematch between two of the best heavyweights of all time, and Nate Diaz was the story. That's pretty incredible. But when you look at 
this particular fight. Like, this was Masvidal after that five-second knockout again against Askren. And Nate Diaz scoring that win over Pettis. And it all just kind of happened, culminated in, in the same amount, of, same period of time. Diaz calls out Masvidal. Masvidal smiles. He's cage side. He's thrilled about it. There's no actual beef. They just want. They just think it'll be an awesome fight. The fans love it. Dana White loves it enough to put a, a belt on the line, a BMF title, uh, something that Nate Diaz had mentioned after the event when he was asked about uh, fighting Masvidal. He says it's for the the BMF to be the BMF of MMA. If you don't know what BMF stands for, feel free to look it up online. But uh, this is this is a family show, ladies and gentlemen. So, Diaz comes out and says he's not fighting. And for some time, it took the UFC quite a while to make a statement on this. It did look like this card was in deep peril. Because without that as the main event, what, what do you do? Masvidal goes on social media says, I don't care about you, Sada. I'll, I'll fight you regardless. Everybody's kind of vouching for Nate, saying he's clean. Everybody, that is, except for Conor McGregor. Kind of, you know, threw Diaz under the bus. It turns out it was an organic, natural, vegetable-based multivitamin that was a tainted supplement that led to an adverse test finding for Nate Diaz. But this is the issue here. And I, I spoke about this. If you go to my Instagram account, at A. Bronstetter, I'm starting to do you know, a, a somewhat regular feature called Insta Analysis, Insta Reaction. And one of my Insta reactions was to the UFC coming out and saying that, in particular... Diaz was a case of something that they had negotiated with USADA as early as, April, as August 31st, around the time that Neil Magny had, had his uh, co-main event spot pulled from him for a similar drug test when he was supposed to face Vicente Luque in Rochester, New York, a card that I was at and enjoyed thoroughly. But uh, that's, a, that's a sidebar. Let's continue. Let's keep, it, keep focused here. Diaz... Because it was, listen, let me just put it this way. I'm all for this. I'm all for the fact that Diaz is going to be fighting this weekend. I think it's ridiculous that if you find traces of a banned substance that can be proven to be originated from a supplement that the fighter provides, and you go to the store, buy that supplement, and find more cases of uh, the supplement being tainted, why would the fighter not be able to fight? Like, I get it. I mean, they, they have a list of approved supplements on their website that if you buy them, you're not going to get in any trouble if it, you end up popping, and that, that ends up being a tainted supplement. It's whatever. I, some JSF certifies them along those lines. Don't have the terminology in front of me. But uh, they have a list of certified. This, I, don't, I doubt this was on the list, but it's also just a multivitamin. Like, why would you think a multivitamin was going to you know, make you fail a drug test? Like, Nate Diaz is about as clean as athlete, an athlete as you'll find in, in mixed martial arts. He's been a strong advocate for that. He's part of the reason why him and his brother are part of the reason why, um, you know, cannabis and, and THC regulations are changing. He's got his own CBD line. But with this particular case, I'm happy that USADA, sorry, that the UFC are going to go to bat for athletes that test positive and say to USADA, listen, this isn't right. Our athlete didn't do anything wrong. But going back to what I said was the big problem with this is that why is all of this being done behind closed doors? Like, why am I finding out from Neil Magny that USADA is going to make changes with the UFC? If they have a verbal agreement, what is to stop either of these 
parties, the UFC or USADA, from putting out a press release and saying, Neil Magny tested positive for this substance. We did our research. We, we have scientifically proven that with this tainted supplement, the, the minute amount of substance, banned substance found in his system could, would give him absolutely no performance-enhancing capacity whatsoever. We're not going to punish our athletes for this anymore. Like, these guys are losing money. They don't make a ton of money. I mean, Diaz is a bit of an outlier, but most UFC fighters don't make a ton of money, so you penalize them. Like Walt Harris, for example, and we'll talk a little bit more about Walt Harris because he's going through a, a terrible situation right now. But he had his fight overturned by the California State Athletic Commission because he, had a, he tested positive for a substance that was in the tainted supplement. He, he had his win overturned. Like, that affects his life. That affects his record. That affects his standing in the division. And it was proven that it was a tainted supplement. USADA proved it. They, they, went, they, they work with, you know, there's a liaison between USADA and the, the California State Athletic Commission. It makes absolutely no sense that we see this sort of thing happen. But again, my issue is that I'm finding out from Neil Magny's social media that we, you know, that, you, that he's been cleared, that USADA, um, you know, is working now to, to help athletes in the future with this and make sure that this doesn't happen. USADA didn't put out a press release about Neil Magny. Neither did the UFC. Magny came out and said that he had an issue with USADA, that he had, there was an adverse finding. And Magny's a classy guy. He's not, he's not ripping anybody along the way. He's just, he's just presenting the facts. So we know that Magny's going through some sort of issue with USADA, but the UFC and USADA haven't put out any information about the fact that this is happening. We know what's happening. It's, it's public information. You don't need to protect the identity of Neil Magny. He's already outed himself as somebody who is having an adverse finding with USADA. So why don't they put out a press release saying Neil Magny has been found at a no-fault this is what happened. He tested positive for a very trace, trace amount um, of whatever the substance is, blank substance, osterine, whatever it is. We have gone back, found the supplement that this originated from. We, found an, we went to the store and also found a supplement you know, that had whatever. Walk us through what's happened. That's all I ask. Walk us through what's happened. And then at the end say USADA and the UFC are partnering on changes that will be made uh, to, a, to, a, to future bylaws that we will release and we've reached a verbal agreement that in circumstances such as these, the, there will be a no-fault finding with the athlete. That's it. Then, then people go to Diaz and say, this is, look, there's a press release about this from Neil Magny. You're fine. USADA could say, listen, we have, inf- we have the new bylaws. You can read them. You're, you're going to be cleared. There's no issue here. We don't even need to mention this. We don't, it's, it's, a no, it's a non-issue. We don't need to even present that, that, that you've had a failed test because we have... You know, there's, not, there's no issue here. You're not provisionally suspended. Nothing's going on. They don't need to even put out a release. But Nate Diaz, being such a, a, a staunch advocate of, of clean sport, wants his name cleared immediately. And I don't blame him. I do not blame him in the least. If there are any fears that there's going to be some sort of press release linking you to some sort of banned substance, even if they said there won't be, and and if after the fact people think that he competed in a in an event when, with something in his system, even if he didn't, even if it's a trace amount or whatever, just be transparent. It makes life so much easier for everybody. We would know what was going on right from the jump. We wouldn't even need to know what was going on, to be honest. If if they've already got this in the bylaws, 
just put out a press release saying, like, this is what we're working on. We don't have the exact language uh, approved by both parties yet, but in these circumstances where an athlete is found with very trace amounts, that it's found to be um, unintentional, whatever, consumption of a banned substance, like, put that out there. And then this whole thing just goes away. There's no reason for us to sit back and be like, oh, wow, you know, Diaz, I can't believe it. And even having Diaz's name linked to a failed test now, it's like you ruin the reputations of these fighters by putting out their names with the banned substance. They've accepted whatever, a six-month you know, sanction because they took a, a supplement that had you know, trace amounts of a banned substance that wasn't on the label. Like, Why do the athletes get punished for this kind of thing? It doesn't make any sense. And Jeff Nowitzki, kudos to him because he's going to bat for these athletes. And that's, that's what his role is in the UFC. A lot of people say, oh, he's, he's part of USADA and all of this other stuff. No, his job is to make sure that these athletes are not in harm's way when it comes to these sort of sanctions. He, needs to, he goes to bat for them. That's his job. His job isn't to punish the athletes. His job is to make sure that, that the sport is clean. And if you can prove that an athlete took something from a, a tainted supplement, then you can prove that it's, a clean, it's still a clean sport. There's no, no harm, no foul. So that's what surprises me about this whole situation, is that there was just such a lack of transparency on the UFC and USADA's part. And I think that that is what made this, you know, then they come out and they say that Diaz is back on the card, that there's no wrongdoing. It makes them look like they're, like, working behind the scenes, that there's, like, there's some sort of evil motive here to, you know, that because he's the main eventer, he's being protected. Maybe that is the case. Maybe that's why they're able to expedite this. Who knows? But the optics of this are bad. Because people think that now they are just trying to make, make sure that the money is protected, that they're trying to save a card. And I can understand fully why that is the optics, why the optics are that they're protecting this one athlete because he's a more important athlete than, say, uh, a Neil Magny or anybody else who's been in this sort of circumstance. Suddenly he gets a pass. When if they would have gotten in front of it, none of this would have mattered. It wouldn't have been a thing. So that's what uh, I think is the big issue with this particular situation and something that I wish they would have clarified early on before it was too late, like it was in this particular circumstance. The UFC was in Kalang, Singapore this past weekend for a main event between two of the best grapplers in MMA history, Demian Maia and Ben Askren. Good back-and-forth fight. Uh, according to the judges' scorecards, it was 2018 Maya on one card, 1919 on two other cards going into the third round. And, of course, it didn't go to the scorecards because with about a minute left in the third round, Demian Maya is able to transition off of his back, sweep Ben Askren, get to his back, and, uh, and choke him out. And basically cements himself as perhaps the greatest grappler to ever do it in MMA. And uh, a pretty... Uh, I will say this about Ben Askren. A lot of people questioned his striking going into this. And while it didn't look as technically sound as a lot of other strikers, he was having success. He was, he was digging up Demian Maia. He was hitting him with some good shots. Um, he, you know, got him in the clinch, was landing some uppercuts. Certainly didn't look like a fish out of water on the feet. But um, I thought that his, uh, you know, he, he had a smart strategy. It was one that he discussed with me on the show a couple of weeks ago where he wants to take him down into favorable positions where it'll be harder for Maya to sweep him, harder for Maya to throw up submissions, etc. And uh, I thought Askren did a good job of implementing that. But Maya's crafty, man. Maya, we've seen Maya do this countless times where 
someone takes him down or he pulls guard and he just knows exactly what to do to get to a, a dominant position and, and get a submission. And he did that here against Ben Askren. Now, what I want to discuss is, A, what Maya has left to accomplish in the sport. He's got two fights left, who, who, who they should be against, because I, I put that out on social media already. And then, number two, Ben Askren and his future. So let, let's start with Demian Maya. He wants two more fights. The guys that I said were Gilbert Burns, who's a fantastic jiu-jitsu player in his own right, has now moved up to 170 and has looked great, and um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, because I think that the stylistic matchup of Wonderboy, who's going to be mostly standing, staying on the outside, using his karate, striking, versus a guy like Maya, who's going to try to get inside, either pull guard, take him down, or do something to get him into a, a problematic submission. I, I would love to see that over five rounds. It would be a real chess match, similar to this one with Askren. But those are the ones that I'd like to see for Maya before he wraps up his career. Uh, you know, some other people sent some other suggestions. Uh, I don't think they're as good as mine. That's just me. Pat myself on the back. But uh, those are the two that I'd like to see. Burns, I would be okay changing with, like, Diego Sanchez. I just would love to see the Thompson matchup. I think that would be a really fun matchup. Of course, we have to see what happens with Thompson and Luque this coming weekend at UFC 244, which we will preview later on tonight. Not tonight. In the show. Come on, Aaron. All right. So Maya beats Askren. And this is the issue that I had with people after the fight with Askren. Oh, Askren, Askren never beat anybody outside of the UFC. As soon as he fights good competition, he, he, you know, he sucks. He's 19-2 and two now. He's 1-2 and two in the UFC. Never beat anybody any good. Now that he's swimming with the big fish, he's, he's sinking. Let's take our foot off the gas here for a second here. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Because Ben Askren is still going to be able to take down and smother 95% of that welterweight division. He just happened to want to come in and take tough fights, challenge himself. And we're getting on his back for that. Like We're, we're annoyed that Ben Askren wanted to challenge himself. He beats Robbie Lawler in the first fight without, throwing a single, without landing a single significant strike. Of course, that knockout with Jorge Masvidal finishes Askren and uh, is the fastest finish in UFC history. Puts uh, Masvidal on the map. I wouldn't say puts Masvidal on the map, but really elevates him into superstardom. And then there's loss to Maya, which if you're a wrestling-based fighter that doesn't exactly have a striking advantage over at Maya, because you can say that when these two were on the feet, Maya probably had the advantage most of the time. You're going to have to implement your game, which is going for takedowns. And Ashburn wasn't afraid of, going, of taking down Maya. He wasn't afraid of going to the ground with Maya. One of very few people that that would that you can say that about. But when you saw Woodley, you saw Usman, you saw Colby Covington, they fought Maya. They all had a striking advantage. They just kept it on the feet and kept it striking. Askren didn't want to do that. He wanted to take him down. And if you think that losing to Demian Maya by submission makes you like a bad fighter, even though Maya's 41, I mean, you kind of look back at some of these Maya fights where he absolutely clowned and dominated some of the best guys in the division. It wasn't close. Look at the Condit fight. Like, lasted like a minute. Carlos Condit is a, fought for the title. Let's, again, pump the brakes here just a little bit. Because Ben Askren, I think, still has a future in the UFC and still can get some good wins in the UFC. And then the other facet of this Askren argument that I thought was ridiculous and that uh, is, is just silly is the Demetrius Johnson for Askren trade. People saying the UFC lost that trade. Well, let me say this. One championship won that trade. 
And let me explain why. Because Astrid wasn't fighting for them. They got something for free. They basically just gave up the rights to basically a retired fighter in Ben Askren and got one of the pound-for-pound best guys in the sport. So one championship won that trade. We knew that one championship won that trade from a, a talent standpoint because they turned nothing into something. But the UFC, what they've gotten out of Askren has been nothing but good. The Robbie Lawler fight with Askren coming and doing interviews and, and talking all kinds of trash and then getting the win over Lawler, like... That was an unlikely scenario, and that showed that Askren was legit. Even though a lot of people questioned the stoppage, I don't think that uh, you know you you can you, you can't definitively say that if Askren would have held onto that squeeze a little bit longer, that <laughs> Lawler wouldn't have gone out. I mean, he, Lawler was nowhere near getting out of that hold. But Askren then has the fight with Masvidal, where he gets knocked out in five seconds. And look at this weekend: Masvidal's headlining against Nate Diaz in one of the biggest fights of the year. And that happens as a result of Ben Askren being in the UFC. Ben Askren talking trash about, about Masvidal, about Masvidal getting upset about it, about Masvidal winning in five seconds and then rubbing it in his face. And every highlight show on planet Earth showing the, the five-second knockout and putting Masvidal into the stratosphere of stardom in the UFC. And then you have this Askren and Maya fight. And... You know, it's a fight that Askren needs to win to get back into, you know, the public perception of being one of the top welterweights of all time. Or, sorry, uh, at the moment and possibly of all time. But being one of the best welterweights in the UFC, at least. And he loses. But not all is lost. Askren is still a hot commodity. People still are interested in what Askren has to say. People are still interested in Ben Askren as a whole. So, the UFC, when they had Demetrius Johnson... Look at his body language at that last event. Watch interviews with him and scrums with him leading up to that fight against Henry Cejudo. He didn't want to be there. He, he was tired of it. He was tired of having to fabricate drama to sell himself. He was tired of people saying that he wasn't marketable. He was tired of people saying that nobody wanted to watch him and watch his pay-per-views. He wanted to go somewhere else, and they let him. They let him go to one. They got Ben Askren back. They could have hung on to DJ. They could have done a trilogy fight with Cejudo. It would have done okay. But as a result of Askren being in the UFC, they now have one of the top drawing pay-per-views of the year this weekend that probably would have been better than three Demetrius Johnson headlined fights on pay-per-view. If you, would, if you had headlined flyweight championship fights, let's say he had beaten Cejudo in the, the trilogy or whatever, and you had Demetrius Johnson headlining a couple cards during the year, Demetrius Johnson doesn't care about selling pay-per-views. He doesn't care about marketability. He, he's just a, a through-and-through fighter's fighter. One of the pound-for-pound pound best in the sport. I'm not trying to diminish Demetrius Johnson here. But what I am trying to say is Askren being in the UFC, Askren was a perfect fit for the UFC. Let's just put it that way. With all of his trash talk, with uh, him calling people out, he was able to get a ton of interest in him to a point where he was able to market himself in such a fashion that people were very interested in what he was doing. Also at UFC Fight Night in Singapore, we saw... Cyril Gane make a, a real name for himself. Uh, fantastic win over Dante Almeida. 14 seconds left in the third round. He lands a, a heel hook submission against a, a very tough prospect in his own right in Dante Almeida. And he, he looks like he's going to be a top five heavyweight by the end of the year. Looked, ex- looked excellent. I mean, the guy's got so many tools. Also, the only Canadian on the card, Randa Marcos, wins a split decision win over Ashley Yoder. Overall, a pretty fun card. 
We also saw the debut of uh, Loma Luke Bunmi, who comes from uh, one of the poorest, most impoverished parts of Thailand, where they have the average annual uh, per capita income is $400 U.S., and she won. She made twenty thousand dollars at this event. That must mean so much to her family and to uh, those in her in the region of Thailand she comes from. So kudos to her. She looked really great. Um, it was a split decision that should have been a unanimous decision. So kudos to her on her first UFC victory. Now I mentioned Walt Harris earlier in the show, and uh, unfortunately he's in the news for uh, a very very tragic reason. And uh, you know it, it's. You know, you can't really call it a true tragedy yet because we don't know where his stepdaughter is, but he's going through a very tragic time having to deal with this. Uh, his stepdaughter, Anaya Blanchard, is, uh, is missing. She uh, was a student in the Auburn, Alabama area and uh, went to, according to a friend, went to meet somebody on uh, Wednesday night and hasn't been heard from since they found her vehicle. There's a, a video that was just released of her at a convenience store that night making a purchase. So... Uh, you know, I, I doubt that this show has a, a large audience in that area of uh, Auburn, Alabama, or any of the surrounding cities. But if you know anybody who lives there, please let them know that Anaya is missing, and that uh, if they see anything, uh, you know, suspicious, or if they see her, or anything along those lines, uh, to to notify the uh, the police or Walt directly. Walt's been on the on this show before. I've interviewed Walt a couple times, and whenever he's on, we always talk about his family. He loves his family. He's got four kids. Um, and I, I just, you know, I really feel for Walt Harris. I, I hope that everything works out. It's a, a terrible situation. I, I can't imagine as a father of three what he is going through. I don't want to imagine what he's going through. It's, it's just awful. So uh, kudos to Dana White and uh, for putting something out on his social media, to the uh, UFC social media for continuing to put out information, as well as Good Morning America for covering the story. Uh, let's hope that Anaya gets home safe sometime, you know, sooner rather than later. This is a... Uh, not something that you want to cover when you're covering sports or covering, you know, any sort of news. It's uh, an awful situation, and I, I hope that it is uh, remedied soon and that Anaya comes home safe. Hard to segue from that to uh, more mixed martial arts news, but uh, we will do so because that's what this show is for, to cover the sport of mixed martial arts. Uh, Douglas Lima, once again the champion in Bellator in the welterweight division, wins the $1 million welterweight Grand Prix by avenging his loss to Rory McDonald. You know, some, some pictures emerged from after the event with the two of them hugging, and they did a lot of media together. It just goes to show the kind of personality and, and human being that Rory McDonald is, and also Douglas Lima. I don't want to, of course, take away from Douglas Lima. Um, just uh, These guys are just professionals. They're just professionals. There's no trash talk. It's just... Just a strong respect and admiration for what the other person does. And uh, Lima, I think this is the third time that Lima's been the, uh, the Bellator welterweight champion. I'm going to look it up. Might even be the fourth. I know he lost to Koroshkov and then won it back from Koroshkov. So he was the... He lost to Askren for the championship. Then he won the welterweight championship against Rick Hahn when it was vacant. Then he lost it in his next fight against Koroshkov. Then he won it back against Koroshkov. So that's now two-time. And then he lost it to Rory and now won it back. So he's now a three-time Bellator welterweight champion is Douglas Lima. One of the best guys to ever not fight in the UFC, I think, in mixed martial arts. And that, I think that's, that goes without saying. But uh, a fantastic win for him over Rory McDonald, unanimous decision victory. I'm interested to see what's next for Rory, but it looks like Rory has... Uh, Whatever issues he was, he was having, he's put behind him. 
in terms of figuring out a way to kind of marry his religious beliefs and uh, rationalize competing in mixed martial arts and hurting another individual. This was something that Rory and I discussed earlier this year on the show, and he was kind of at a, a, a place where he wasn't exactly sure. And I think now he's figured out that this is what his calling is and what he is here to do right now at this stage in his life. So I think we're going to see a trilogy fight for sure between Rory McDonald and uh, Douglas Lima. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, apparently Lima versus Larkin is what Scott Coker said is going to be next. Uh, personally, I would prefer to see the rematch, but I think Rory McDonald might want to take a little bit of time away. Um, I think he just had a second child or is expecting a second child, something along those lines. I think he's probably had it by now, but he's got a, a growing family and uh, a, a fairly new marriage and all the best to Rory McDonald. I know that uh, you don't want to come out on the losing end of uh, of uh, a loss to, you know, of losing a title, but I thought that uh, he performed pretty well and... Uh, even though Lima was the better man, that I think Rory still has some more fight left in him if he wants to continue. John Jones said that uh, he isn't exactly sure what to do with um, his career right now. He's looking at the light heavyweight division. He sees that it's somewhat barren. You've got uh, a lot of up-and-comers. We saw Dominic Reyes. We're going to see Johnny Walker this weekend. Alexander Rockets we're going to see in December. There are a lot of up-and-coming fighters, but Jones is kind of right that right now there's not really a big money fight for him in the light heavyweight division. I think that there are a lot of suitors and a lot of young guys. Like, Jones is kind of becoming the old dog on the block now suddenly. He was won the title at age 23, and now here he is years later, and all these younger fighters in the light heavyweight division are knocking on the door. And a lot of the older fighters are coming over to the division, uh, like a Weidman, like Luke Rockhold, both of whom, you know, we're not sure what, what the future holds for them, but also Jacare is fighting uh, in a couple weeks. So Jones has mentioned that he thinks a fight with Francis Ngannou is an inevitability. Francis said the same thing. He thinks that a fight with Jones is an inevitability. Uh, Francis apparently was on the short list to fight Alexander Volkov next, but uh, Greg Hardy ended up getting the fight in the main event of UFC Fight Night in Moscow. And... Uh, Francis is pretty frustrated with what's going on. Can you imagine, though, a fight between Francis and John Jones in the heavyweight division? That would be unbelievable. But you'd have to really incentivize Jones. I don't think Jones wants to move to heavyweight unless, you know, it's under the absolute right circumstances. He actually told me this during uh, media day when I spoke to him um, before his last fight against Tiago Santos that, you know, going he's got four kids. And uh, in the heavyweight division, he does not want to... He knows that the heavyweight division, you can suffer some really bad head injuries, things that can change your life. He says, like, I'm not going to put myself at that kind of risk without the uh, the proper compensation. And I think that that is a very, um, I guess, business-savvy, life-savvy way of looking at things. So whether or not we see him in the... Heavyweight division against Francis and again, it was you know that's yet to be seen. But it seems like he wants to get back into action. Reyes got a, a pretty quick win over Chris Weidman, so let's see how this weekend goes for Johnny Walker and Corey Anderson. I don't want to diminish Corey Anderson's title hopes because Corey Anderson is uh, also a guy that's looked really good recently, and uh, he's been pretty picky about who he wants to fight next. He's been turning down lots of fights. He thought he was next in line for the title, but uh, we'll see. I think a win over Johnny Walker will certainly put him in the conversation, or at least keep him in the conversation. Alexander Rakic, I don't think he's there yet. I think uh, a win over Volkan Ozdemir would certainly plummet him into top three of the division. Ozdemir's a tough out. 
And we saw Uzdemir beat Latifi recently. So uh, that's where that division stands right now. And I think that there's a, a lot of uh, moving parts for that particular division and uh, what the future holds for it. And I think John Jones versus Francis again is one of the biggest fights you can make in the UFC right now. I think it's one of the most intriguing fights, and I would love to see it. But uh, I do understand why John Jones is hesitant to move up to heavyweight. UFC 244 this weekend, Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. In the main event, Kelvin Gastelum versus Darren Till in the co-main event. Uh, two fights at the top of a very stacked card. Got a lot of good names on this card. Very first fight on the card, Hakeem Dawadu versus Julio Arce is even a great fight. Let's see what Dawadu can do against an opponent of this caliber. I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, the future holds for him. I think in terms of Canadians in the UFC, he's one of the bigger name prospects. I also really enjoy watching a Julio Arce fight. It's, uh, he's, he's a really talented guy. So uh, that's going to be what the first fight of the night is. But let's go to the main event. we got Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. Uh, this is a, such an interesting fight. It really is. You know, you've got two of the, really the pioneers of this sport that are still at the very top of the game in terms of promotional clout, in terms of superstardom, right, right now in the UFC. And I think Diaz, even though he took a lot of time off, looked very sharp against Anthony Pettis. And now he's getting right back into it against Jorge Masvidal. Main event, Madison Square Garden, 500th UFC event. Only fitting that two of these uh, legendary figures in the sport headline this card for a... Uh, Somewhat fictional belt, but you know, forget the, forget the BMF title. The Rock will be there. He's going to put the title on the winner. That's great. That'll be fun. But uh, outside of being kind of a trophy for being one of the baddest men on the planet, I think that uh, it's just a great fight. I don't think you need to put any sort of belt on it. But you know, it's good that MMA is having some fun. You know, I, people often complain that the UFC is too regimented. They got uniforms now. There's USADA. They got to start going back to having fun, like uh, a lot of these other MMA promotions do with their Grand Prix and. Um, you know, interesting fights, older guys fighting uh, back in the UFC, like Tito Ortiz coming back, fighting Alberto Del Rio, you know, that kind of stuff that's outside of the norm. And I think that this BMF championship, despite the fact that it doesn't have a whole lot of significance or meaning, it is still a kind of a cool thing that the UFC is doing that uh, I can get behind more of this kind of stuff. Now, in terms of who wins the fight, that's a, a tough one. I Personally, I lean Diaz. I think that Diaz... Um, if you know, I think this is going to stay on the feet most of the time, and I think that Diaz is going to be able to give Masvidal problems, especially as this fight gets goes on. I think once this hits the fourth or fifth round, if, if it does get there, that's where Diaz is really going to be able to put his foot on the gas. Um, I think that he's going to have a bit of a cardio advantage, and I think he's going to have a volume advantage. Masvidal will have the power advantage, um, and on the ground, I think Diaz has the uh, the grappling advantage. So I think Diaz has more ways to win this fight, but uh, Masvidal is uh, certainly not going to be a pushover. <laughs> you know, if Diaz is able to win this fight, it's not going to come easy. So uh, that's uh, that's how I see the main event going. And then you've got Gastelum versus Till. And I talked about this when this fight was announced. I think it's a, a, a very smart move for Darren Till to take this fight. And, you know, a lot of people would say you're fighting one of the toughest guys in the middleweight division coming off back-to-back losses. What's there to gain for Darren Till? You know, it's a very risky fight. I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's a very low-risk fight. I don't think people have a very high expectation for Darren Till to win. And if he does beat Gastelum, he's a top-five middleweight in the world. Out of nowhere. And I think that that's a weight class that's more suited to him. 
I think that uh, Darren Till's not going to be... I think he'll have the size advantage, even though this is a, a middleweight fight and he's moving up a weight class. Gastelum was also uh, a former welterweight. I think Till will have a pretty sizable size advantage. I think that uh, Gastelum is probably the better all-around fighter, and uh, unless Till can do something similar to what he did to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, fight a smart fight, keep the distance, land good shots, you know, maybe knock Gastelum down. You know, Gastelum was knocked down, I think it was three times by Israel Adesanya, and prior to that he had never been knocked down. So this isn't a guy who has a rocky chin. Um, but uh, I, w- I would love to see a Till... Adesanya fight down the line if Till is able to get this done, but uh, I think that Gastelum probably will get the win here. I think he's got the uh, the the better striking, the more polished striking. Um, even though Till is more of a striking based fighter, I think Till might ha- will probably have the power advantage. But outside of that, I think Gastelum obviously has a wrestling advantage, and I think Gastelum will have the uh, the volume advantage as well as the uh, just the technical striking advantage. So uh, for that reason, I, I would lean Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, Vicente Luque versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. This is a fun one as well. You know, Thompson right now is kind of in the twilight of his career. 36 years of age, turning 37 in uh, just a couple of months. He's lost two in a row. Lost to uh, Darren Till last May and then earlier this year to Anthony Pettis. Whereas Vicente Luque is, uh, is on a roll. He has not lost since he lost to Leon Edwards back in the beginning of 2017. So two and a half years undefeated. He's won six straight fights including a, a barn burner against Mike Perry, which I thought could have gone either way, which was fairly recently, too, just three months ago, less than three months ago. So he's getting right back into it against uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I, I think I have to lean Thompson in this fight. It, you know, it's not one that I would, would pick with any sort of real um, confidence. And if you look at the odds for this one, Thompson is a small favorite. I think that's probably where it should be. I think that uh, that is probably the more likely scenario, but I, I do know that Luke is such a dangerous fighter. He's got a great chin. He's not a guy that's going to go away easy, and uh, I think that if he can pressure Thompson, he can get a win here, but uh, I would just have to give a slight edge to Thompson in this fight. Wouldn't surprise me either way, regardless of the outcome. Uh, then you got Derek Lewis versus Blagoy Ivanov. Ivanov now favored at minus 125, despite opening as a uh, plus 130 underdog. Uh, there was a time where Ivanov was an even bigger favorite he had gotten, oh, no, I guess it's been around this range. He was at minus 140, I guess, earlier this week, but uh, now at minus 125. This is another close fight. I think that Lewis's size might be the difference here against Ivanov. You know, Ivanov is, is not a, an easy out by any means. His only two losses in his career came to Junior Dos Santos, that was by a decision, and uh, a submission loss to Alexander Volkov. He's never been knocked out. And uh, he's on a two-fight, one-streak against Tai Tuivasa and Ben Rothwell. I think that if this goes to a decision that it's almost certain that Ivanov will win, but I think Lewis has the power. Now that he's, he's had surgery, he's probably you know, feeling a lot better than he has in his last two fights, where apparently he could almost barely walk. Here he is against a, a, probably a, an opponent that is better than the three individuals, or that, is, that might not be better than his last two wins against Volkov and, and Francis Ngannou. That Ngannou fight you didn't learn much from, but Volkov was winning most of that fight and then got knocked out with, seven, with 11 seconds left in the fight. Ivanov, I think, uh, is, you know, his chin is a little bit uh, questionable. We don't really know. Like, we don't know what to expect. He's never really been hit by anybody the size of a Derek Lewis. His chin has held up for his career. So I think you, you have to give a slight lean to Ivanov by decision, but 
I think Lewis definitely has what it takes to knock him out, even in the first round, if, if it gets uh, to the point where Lewis is able to, to get uh, going. And if Lewis gets top control at any point in this fight, if he's able to take Ivanov down, I'm not, I'm not sure how uh, possible that will be, given Ivanov's kind of uh, grappling pedigree. Uh, Lewis can put him out no problem from top. That's where Lewis is his most dangerous, in my opinion. Kevin Lee back down to 155 against Gregor Gillespie. Everybody's wanted to see Gillespie get tested. Here is the test. It's Kevin Lee and Gillespie, a pretty sizable favorite at minus 165. Uh, I need to. This is a wait and see for me. I, I don't really know what to expect for this one. I think Gillespie might have a wrestling advantage, but Lee is not e- going to be an easy guy to take down. So, you know, we, we saw Lee make his debut at 170 earlier this year in the main event in Rochester against Rafael Dos Anjos, lost in the fourth round. Looked good early on in the fight, but then started to kind of run out of gas. In a three-round fight... I'm not sure how quickly he'll run out of the gas, but I know that Gillespie's going to push the pace. Lee is probably the better stand-up fighter, but uh, you know if Gillespie's able to take him down and hold him there, Gillespie probably has the easier path to victory. But uh, Kevin Lee is also a pretty good grappler in his own right. If he can keep it on the feet, keep it striking, probably Kevin Lee's fight to lose. And then you got Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker. Let's see where Johnny Walker's at. Uh, right now the odds on this fight are fairly close. Johnny Walker minus 150, Anderson plus 130. But Walker's overcome the odds in every one of his fights. You know, he's he's looked great since coming to the UFC. Just from an odd standpoint, he was uh, the underdog against Khalil Roundtree, but since then he's been favored against Justin Ledette and Misha Serkinov. Now against uh, someone of the pedigree of Corey Anderson, Still favored, but not by much. I think that, you know, I, I think that Johnny Walker had the explosiveness to put Corey Anderson out. You know, Corey Anderson's chin has been exposed before, and if Johnny Walker gets a, a clean shot, I think that that could be it for Corey Anderson. But uh, Corey Anderson, I think, has more ways to win this fight. I think he can take Walker down. I think he can hold him there. I think he can submit Walker potentially. But we haven't really seen Walker in any trouble in the UFC, so it's hard to really know where Johnny Walker's at. He's a young guy. He's only going to get better. And that's where uh, things get a little bit spotty for Corey Anderson. So this is a really solid card. I think that if you're going to watch a card this year, this is uh, one of the ones to definitely consider. I mean, there's only two more cards left. If you had to choose between this one and 245, that's a, that's, that's a question right there because you've got three title fights. I, I think 245 is the stronger card. I think 245 is a stronger card than 244. But 244 certainly has a lot of good stuff to watch on it. I know Joe's not here to uh, make a pick. Um, I will make one, and my pick would be Nate Diaz at plus 145. I think that this, this fight is probably closer than that uh, and that the odds should be a little bit closer than what we see right now. So if I had to make one pick, it would probably be Nate Diaz plus 145. And that's where I would go with it. I think that a, a parlay of Johnny Walker and Kelvin Gastelum would be uh, one that you could probably try on for size, but uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Nate Diaz. As uh, my pick, if I'm gonna, but if forced to pick one, I'm not sure what Joe likes. I might have to pick his brain on that one. But uh, hopefully, Joe will be back with me here next week. I'll be traveling to New York this Wednesday. Go to tsn.ca/ufc for all of our coverage of UFC 244. I uh, think you'll enjoy a lot of the interviews that we're gonna get one-on-ones with Dana White and uh, the main event fighters. Make sure that you check that out uh, and. Keep tuned to Sports Center this week for ongoing coverage of UFC 244. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And again, uh, my uh, thoughts are with 
Walt Harris, as he goes through a very tough time as they try to locate his daughter, Anaya Blanchard. If you have any information, uh, please contact Walt Harris through social media and uh, and let him know. Um, so definite, definitely is in our thoughts on a, a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. I, I really hope that things work out uh, for the big ticket, Walt Harris. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.